Anglers across the country love to eat walleyes, and they're one of the most popular fish to target. Well, here at Fishful Thinker, we're based in the West, where we fish in reservoirs, and a lot of people we deal with are used to eastern walleyes in their native habitat and natural lakes. So we're going to talk about the differences of walleyes from back east where they're from and out west where they're new. All that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. All right. Well, I would be remiss if I went into a whole dissertation about walleyes from the east versus walleyes here in the west if I didn't have somebody that actually was from the east to be involved with that. And so if you're a fan of Fishful Thinker in any way, shape, or form, you'll probably know the next voice. That's Mr. Dan Swanson. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Chad. Appreciate you joining us on this. Now, you are a former professional walleye angler on the PWT trail, I believe, rookie or tied for rookie of the year one year. Is that right? Western rookie? Yes, I was. And that was quite a little while ago. Yeah, that's just <laughs> means you've gained more experience since yeah. then. But you're originally from Minnesota, and we've had you as a guest on Fishful Thinker Television several times. Ironically, only one of those did we really target walleyes, or no, two of those did we target walleyes, uh, and both those were here in the West. I went back East and fished with you in your home state. We didn't target walleyes, which was kind of funny, yes. although we did catch a few of them uh, in a kind of a late day thing. But you grew up around walleye country, and you've lived in Colorado now for how long? Like 30 years. 45 so. years almost. 45 years. It, that's Dan's nice way of saying he's old. <laughs> but, uh, but he's got a lot of experience with these things. And, and given that we've guided together for a long time, it's very common for us to get folks that want walleyes. And the biggest seems like the number one thing is I grew up back east, I could catch them or, you know, whatever. Now I'm here in Colorado and I can't seem to catch these things. And they're not native here at all. They're not native anywhere west of the Mississippi River, as I understand it. As far as I know, I think there's some sauger that have gone up the, like the Missouri River drainages and probably maybe part of the North Platte, or the, not the Platte, not the North Platte, but the Platte drainage, at least partway. But yeah, there they definitely aren't that many out this way. No, fundamentally, they're, they're not. And here where most of our, our viewers and listeners are from, in Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, you know, New Mexico, Utah, certainly not native to any of those areas. Uh, yet they do well here, and I think a lot of people are surprised to find out that the state record in Colorado is substantially heavier than the state record walleye in Minnesota, which is kind of a weird, weird thing to think about. Yeah, I think it, it's for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, food. I think uh, the other thing is the growing season. It's not near as cold. Yeah, yeah. It's a little warmer here in Colorado than Minnesota for sure. But let's, let's go through and talk about, Dan, some of the differences between fishing natural lake walleyes that are native versus, say, we'll just use Colorado, for example, because that's where we're sitting and that's where we guide, but really it would be western reservoirs all over the country. And you fished in a lot of western reservoirs. You fished them in the Ozarks, the Dakotas, Wyoming, Colorado, uh, where else? In the in, west. In the west? Yeah, yeah, I think you pretty much covered it. Dakotas, Wyoming, Colorado are pretty much the, the west. But right. when you start talking about reservoirs, you're also talking about Arkansas. I fish tournaments down there as well. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Okay, so you've had some experience with both sides of the equation, and, and you and I have fished them together in both natural lakes and, um, and, and western reservoirs. But th I think there's a big misconception right off the bat that walleyes in Colorado are going to, to be similar to walleyes back east, and they're not. They're not for a lot of reasons. And the, the, the first thing that comes to mind when we say they're all stocked here in Colorado they are uh, harvested along typically dam faces or rocky shorelines by Colorado Parks and Wildlife in springtime, uh, typically in, in late March, early April. 
Uh, the females are held in cages until they're ripe, uh, along with the males. The eggs are milked out of the females. The milt is mixed with them. They, believe it or not, use a goose feather or a turkey feather to stir mm. those still to this day because they're very soft. Uh, and then they go to Tyler Baker, the walleye maker, who is actually the guy that uh, runs the walleye hatchery in eastern Colorado, a friend of ours here at Fishful Thinker. Uh, I think last the year before last, he produced something like 84 million walleyes, which is a lot of walleyes coming through there. And then they're stocked back out through the system in, in Colorado. Now, we produce so many walleyes that we have enough extra to trade, say, Nebraska for some catfish that we can stock or maybe some bluegills or some crappies or something like that. So we use our walleyes that are spawned in our reservoirs um, to, to trade for other species. And, and the reason that's of note is because they don't reproduce in most reservoirs in Colorado at anywhere near a high enough level to stay ahead of fishing pressure. Um, and that being said, I think there's only a few that, are, that they're not stocked in, Horsetooth Reservoir being one, and even here we were stocked this year for the first time since the 90s. Uh, Pueblo Reservoir, Chatfield. Carter Lake. And Carter Lake. Cherry Creek is stocked heavily with walleyes, mm. uh, heavily. Boyd Lake stocked heavily with walleyes. All the Eastern Plains lakes, the Sterling and all those are all stocked. Those are all stocked fish. If we stop stocking them, they stop being there at that point. How does that relate to, say, Minnesota or, or Wisconsin wise? Do they stock them there too? It depends on the lake. Um, for example, Lake Mille Lacs, <clears throat> you know, one of the most famous walleye fisheries in the Midwest, has been actually been getting quite a bit of stocking. And they've had some issues with forage base and, and predation and delayed mortality from people catching them. And so the, the, the lake's not doing that well to the point where it's self-sustaining like it normally would have in the, say, 20, 25 years ago. Okay, but as a general rule, most of the lakes that have walleyes around there, they, they're on their own to reproduce? Yeah, on the, most of the northern lakes are not necessarily stocked. But you start getting south, you know, towards the Twin Cities area where there's a lot more pressure, and, and you get a little bit further south, they don't do as well naturally, so they do keep those pretty well stocked. Gotcha. And the reason that that's the case is walleyes are delicious. Let's just cut right to the chase. Everybody likes to eat walleyes. So let's address that little side of it real quick. Okay, we know they stock lots of them in the west and some of them in the east. Um, let's talk real quick about eating them because we'd be remiss. You and I are big fans of eating walleyes, no question about that. Selective harvest is the operative term. And to me, that's, uh, it goes back to the rancher not eating the prize bull, right? You, you eat fish that are good eating size. For me, that's somewhere around 15 to 20 inches. Uh, if I get fish in that range, they're good to eat. They're not too high in mercury, which is something people need to keep in mind here in the West. Um, they're a good size fish to eat. We start looking at 22, 23, 25 inch fish. In my book, they all go back. Yeah, for me too. And I think, you know, you touched on the mercury thing. I think that's kind of an important factor. You know, most lakes, I don't care where you are, you're going to have mercury in the lake. And the, the longer those fish are in the system, the more they eat of other things. And mercury never passes through the body, just keeps collecting. So the older that fish is, the more mercury that fish is going to contain. So when you get, start getting into those bigger fish, you need to start thinking about how many meals should I be eating a month out of those fish. Absolutely. And just for the record, guys, not to be the bearer of bad news, but I actually rode around in the boat with the toxicologist from the feds that uh, that was out here while we were sampling walleyes with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and he was taking tissue samples off of them from various size groups, from, from small ones like what I would consider a sub-eater, like a 12-inch mm -hmm. type fish, all the way up to 30-inch fish. And his exact words to me were, I wouldn't eat one of these, and I dang sure wouldn't feed any to my pregnant wife. 
And uh, and so I think the mercury content's legitimately high in them, but that's okay because they're hard enough to catch that we don't get to eat very well. Many of them. <laughs> they aren't always hard to catch everywhere, but no. on this particular lake, they're pretty hard to catch. They are, and I think because they're mixed of diversity in the food sources, which also is one of those things that is different here in the West, um, and part of the reason we get big walleyes. But let's talk a little bit back east, real quick, uh, to set the stage because you normally the people we get are I grew up in Minnesota, or I grew up in Wisconsin, yeah. or I grew, and now I'm here. In Colorado, and I, I, the walleyes are totally different. So fishing back east, the, the number one thing is the lakes are relatively constant level. That's the first thing that jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. The, the, the lakes are relatively constant level. We were at Mille Lacs last year. The lake was down like a foot. Everybody was freaking out. Meanwhile, horse who's dropped a foot in the last three days, and no one even notices because we fluctuate 50 feet a year, whatever. Mille Lacs, if it were to fluctuate five feet, it would be unboatable. Yeah, in fact, last year, but when you were there, it was more like three feet, and it was hard to find a boat ramp we could use. Yeah, we hit the prop on one even. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. So the, the constant level means that the fish don't move as much. Any kind of fish, while I included, would be, that would be part of it. Part of it also is your forage base is just as natural as your walleyes, for mm-hmm. the reason, right? Yeah. Your, your ciscos or your bluegills or your whatever your fish are that they're eating are also native. Yeah, you don't, well, for example, out here on the west, we have a lot of shad. You know, which is a roaming, pelagic, suspending fish. You don't necessarily have those, except maybe in the Mississippi River. Uh, most of the bigger the bigger lakes are going to be Cisco's or Tulabees, if you want to call them that, or whitefish. There's right. a lot of different names, sure. right? And then there you got perch, yeah. Which is a big yellow perch is a huge, huge, huge piece of the forage base in, in the Midwest. And of course, shiners and some of those other baits. Right. So we don't really have that here. And that's one of the big things I think that makes a difference. I've always said, find the, find the bait, find the fish. Yeah. The problem we have here is which bait am I looking for? Because in sampling with Parks and Wildlife here, we, we sampled several walleyes out of a net that were in a four foot square. It found everything from one inch long crayfish mm-hmm. to 10 inch long rainbow trout to a whole bunch of four inch long smelt uh, just depending on which walleye you opened up. And it wasn't even tied to the size. Ironically, the largest walleyes that we sampled that particular day was literally had an entire belly full of one-inch crayfish. First question is, where did he find that many one-inch crayfish? And second of all, how did he catch all of them in one shot and eat them like that? You know. And yeah. meanwhile, the 20-incher that we sampled is has got a trout half his size stuffed down his gullet. So... Um, those trout are a hint as to why some of our walleyes get so big. Trout happen to be very protein-dense, easy to catch right out of the hatchery, and easy to swallow because they don't have any spiny fins. Um, and they happen to be a fantastic forage, if it, even if it is expensive forage, for walleyes. And I think that's the, the reason that we kick out this, the pure size of walleyes we can is because of either kokanee salmon or trout that are stocked. That's true. I mean, if we look at Carter Lake, Carter Lake uh, years ago was one of the best trophy walleye lakes probably in the country. And at that time, we had a bunch of kokanee in that lake. Yes. And they were chowing down on kokanee. Yeah. And and now, of course, the kokanee are gone, and they're dumping trout in there, and they're feeding on the trout. Yeah, and the reason they quit kokanees uh, is got too expensive. Kokanee, we were behind on stocking more important fisheries. There was no return to creel. In other words, anglers weren't catching any of them. Walleyes were catching all of them, and that's really expensive walleye food yeah, because those are hatchery raised as well. So they quit doing that. Uh, rainbow trout, they can stock them, um, and and some of them get eaten, but at least they're a lot cheaper to reproduce than kokanee salmon. So uh, that's the biggest thing with that. Um, 
Western walleyes, I feel like, also have bait fish that are, uh, for instance, in our lake, smelt, right? They're only accessible at certain times of day. So you can catch walleyes really good at dusk, but you can't catch them in the daylight mm -hmm. because they're so tuned in to these smelt coming high in the water column in the same way that maybe a trout in the river knows that every afternoon at 3 o'clock the mayflies are going to come off, and that's when he's going to feed, and he doesn't do anything the rest of the time. Walleyes know every night at dusk all these smelt are going to release from the from the thermocline and work their way up into the water column, and they're going to be accessible, and walleyes know that. In fact, you and I filmed a TV show all built around that whole concept. Yeah, we did. And it went well. Yeah, it did. We had a really good night. Yeah, we caught them really good, and we started fishing right at dusk because that's when the smelt will release from the water, from the from the thermocline, so to speak. Uh, you'll see them on your sonar. you see them on the ranch here. There'll be a solid wall of them, or a solid floor of them. And then as it starts getting dark, they rise in the water column and disperse. And then, lo and behold, the walleyes can catch them. And that's a key, a key part of it. Back east, your bait fish tend to be uh, more stable as well, right? I mean, you don't have those fundamental daily changes in bait, do you? Not, no, not that I'd notice. I mean, there's some places where there's rainbow smells, but not, not in significant numbers. Like I said, most of them are, they're feeding on natural things. Like perch. Right, right, perch. And perch are way more predictable than right. smelt or anything else because they're not um, pelagic in nature. They don't roam the ocean, open water all the time. Uh, perch are bottom-oriented fish, structure-oriented fish, and all that. Do you find that there's more suspended walleyes here or back east? Sus I would say here, yeah. um, definitely. And, and again, it comes down to the bait. Um, I, think, I think you find, my experience is that the, for the most part, the walleyes are structure-oriented. Um, in back east, right? But then towards the fall, then some of the some of the fish will start to suspend, and the and the walleyes will go with them. So I mean, the guys are fishing like let's say Lake of the Woods. They're pulling, they're trolling with uh, with downriggers for suspended walleyes. So they're suspended I, fairly deep. Yeah, I think well, they're suspended with the tulabies. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. And that's a, that's a fundamentally different thing. Do you think people back east troll more than here? Depends. Um, in Minnesota, no. Okay. Because Minnesota is one of the few states in the world that has a one rod per person rule. Gotcha. So, so trolling is kind of, unless you got the whole family in the boat, it's kind of a waste of time, right? Because you only got two rods if you got two people in the boat. You get to Wisconsin, you get to the Great Lakes, any of that, they troll a lot. And, you know, that's very, very significant percentage of the, of the work is when you get into, like, say, uh, Green Bay area. Or even on Lake Erie, trolling is the way you do it. Now, more and more people are getting on to like jigging, jigging wraps, and you know that type of a bait. But you're, I'm still, I think, significant numbers of them are still trolling. Just real quick, what's your preference, trolling them or casting them? I'd rather cast. Yeah, me too. For but any species. But I can say that there's probably been more walleye, more tournaments won trolling than there ever have been casting. Sure, 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 sure. And I think when you and I have, we we were running about a. About a 50-50, I think, on the two times we tried to film it. We did one horse tooth show where we caught them really good trolling. Mm -hmm. And then we had another show where we tried to troll and didn't catch them at all for a while. Uh, had the same thing with Nate Zielinski one time, didn't catch mm -hmm. any trolling them. So it's not a black and white answer one way or the other. It really comes down to how you want to fish and what your bait fish are looking like in the first place. But some of that can be addressed with you. You, you started off with find the bait, find the fish. Well, but again, what bait am I looking for? Because... Right. Potentially, and, and here in Horsetooth, in my home lake, there's been times where there was no bait fish, literally. Right. And they really keyed on crayfish, which are not a particularly good food source for walleyes. Because, no, they're not very effective at it. Yeah, and they have a lot of, a lot of shell that has to be passed right. through that is not calorically 
dense, you know, and anyone that's ever been to a crawfish boil knows there's a lot of scraps at the end of that boil that you didn't eat. And if, meanwhile, if you were eating something like sardines, there wouldn't be any scraps left. You'd eat the whole thing. So right. uh, a little bit different story there when, in terms of the nutritional intake of them. But um, here, I think, the, the, here being Colorado or the Western United States, it seems like that probably shatter the number one thing is that, that people need to key on. Here in Colorado, for sure, with Chatfield and Pueblo, and, and here at Horsetooth, we've got a lot of shadow, although we have a lot of smelt as well. Yeah, so I think, I believe this is the only lake in the state that's got smelt. As I understand I don't know of well. any other. I don't know any other western reservoirs that have smelt, with the exception of um, the Missouri River impoundments. Gotcha. So it's, it's very unusual to have smelt in a lake. So that's why this place fishes different than, everybody, than a lot of other yes. places. But say Glendo, which is both one of our favorite places, you know, both of our favorite places to fish locally for walleyes, Glendo Reservoir, tons and tons and tons of shad. Tons of shad, but there's also shiners. Gotcha. And perch. And perch. And good numbers of perch. Yes. So, uh, in fact, we typically will catch a perch or two on any given day of walleye fishing, which is always a good sign. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to get around those, too. So, um, other reservoirs, I'm trying to think, Pueblo's, a shad-based reservoir, Boisin. Boisin is Emerald Shiners. Emerald Shiners, okay, which is so a, a which is one. a littoral deal. They spend most of their time along, around the banks, don't they, Emeralds? Or am I thinking spot tails? I think you're thinking spot tails. Okay, I know yeah. one, one does one, and one, yeah, one yeah. roams open water, and one stays <laughs> yeah, on I think the bank. Well, I mean, some biologists will catch us on this, but I'm, <laughs> but yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, the Emeralds that I've, when I fish Boisin Reservoir, we've done reasonably well trolling, and I'm thinking it's because of the Emeralds, but... Gotcha. I could be wrong. That makes sense. That makes sense. Good. Huh. Well, and I, the, the thing I know about walleyes that's really important to change gears a little bit is I didn't come to walleyes till late in life. I came originally from saltwater and bass fishing and then really got heavy into bass fishing all the way through college and on from there uh, and tournament bass fishing and all that. And walleyes were kind of an also-ran for me. I didn't really didn't really target them at all, but I would catch them. And I would catch them while I was bass fishing. Mm -hmm. And it started, the light bulb slowly went on. I'm not the sharpest tack in the box, but the light bulb slowly went on that, hey, wait, these things are more predatory than maybe I've given them credit for. Because I always read you had to troll at an eighth of a mile an hour with a slow death hook and a, you had to have a live leech or all these things mm -hmm. that traditionally guys do for walleyes back east. And I had no experience with them, targeting them as a kid. So I was catching them on things like lipless crankbaits and Texas rigs pitched in trees, you know, when we're up in the bush, when the reservoirs flood and the willow bushes flood and you're pitching trying to catch bass. The next thing you stroke a big old walleye. I caught one in a patch of cattails all the way in the back of the cattails one time trying to catch bass where I pitched a six inch lizard into the cattails and you could see the cattails move as about a five pound walleye came out of there and got my lizard. So I started figuring out that they're more predatory than people give them credit for in a lot of ways. They can be made to react to aggressive baits. There's not, you don't always have to finesse walleyes into biting. Now, you don't have to feed them all the time. Feed them, that's a good right? way to put and, it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we've got friends that are bass fishermen, and they catch tons of walleyes on, you know, throwing Alabama rigs, throwing crankbaits, throwing, I mean, we know the jerkbait bite is Amazing. I love, uh, I, that's one of my favorite things to do for walleyes right yes, now. Yes, absolutely. And crankbaits. So, yep. so yeah, they will, they will chase, they will feed. But when, when they get turned off, whether it's a, you know, a nasty cold front and they're, and they're just belly to the bottom, sometimes you know, a lively leech dangled in their face is probably the best way to catch them. But when it comes to numbers, you know, the, what you're talking about fishing uh, 
beating the bank and while you're bass fishing and you're catching some. You don't catch a lot of them doing that. The ones you catch are usually pretty are good, good ones. Though. That's right. The biggest wild I've caught to date was in less than three feet of water at 10 o'clock in the morning on mm -hmm. a high, bright, sunny day and stroked a chrome jerkbait. And uh, by the book, you shouldn't be there. One of my favorite other patterns to catch them is the mud lines that form when the wind starts beating on the bank. And the, the lake, typically the reservoirs will be going down at that point. It'll expose a little bit of muddy part of the bank. Either wind or boat traffic will stir that up, and you'll start a mud line. And next thing you know, there's a bunch of walleyes dirt shallow in the middle of the day, in the middle of the morning, right up on the bank doing what they do. Um, you know, feeding their way along, and and again, you can catch them really shallow on, on either crankbaits or jerk baits or, or small swim baits of all kinds. Yeah, a little like a that. little tiny eighth ounce jig with a curly tail on it, yeah. cast up right up on the bank in the in the mud line, especially when that mud line first forms. Yep. You've got that layer on the top that's all mud, and then underneath it's clear. Yep. And they're using that for cover. Yep. You just kill them on those days. And the way to check to see how old your mud line is, if you just found it, is to nose in there with your boat and turn your trolling motor on. If it if mm -hmm. it exposes a clear spot in the in the mud, that you need to fish there. If yeah. it's stirred, if it's muddy all the way down, well, maybe maybe not. But if it's just getting going good in the first hour, there gonna be a lot of fish underneath those. And you said a curly tail grub, and I like it, but I'm I'm probably more of a power swimmer, uh, some something with yeah. a thumper tail, a boot tail, I but the, the same concept. Same same thing. I do both. Yeah, the little the little something with a little bit of flavor to it is really good. Also, when I'm casting for walleyes, if I'm going to throw a jig, something like that, uh, very commonly for me to lean heavily on gulp or, or, mm. or max scent, power bait max scent, something that's got the extra flavor. It may just be my confidence, to be honest with you, because I know they'll pounce on, on the right action. How many walleyes have we caught on action as opposed right. to anything else? But at the end of the day, if I'm throwing something like a finesse jig, I'd just as soon have it have gulp or power bait flavor to it because it is a slower presentation. If they get a hold of it, I want them to go ahead and ingest it the rest right. of the way as well because they will nip stuff with their front teeth, same with the trout. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the of the gulp curly tail um, of the gulp mm -hmm. swimming mullet. Swimming it's a mullet. saltwater bait, but yep. man, it's got a, it's just got a great action. It has a great action. That's right. Well, speaking of action, let's talk about some of our favorite baits for action because you referenced walleyes that were laying on the bottom, and I remember seeing a video. Now, admittedly, this was from back east. It was from the Detroit River, mm -hmm. but a big cold front had come through, and the fish were really put off, and they dropped a camera down on them, and there was walleyes laying on the bottom like they were dead, as far as you could see on this mm -hmm. camera, just laying in the sand. Their gills were barely moving, and I'm glad I wasn't fishing for them that day. Just from looking at their activity level, I think you'd have been better. I don't know how you would have gotten them to bite just looking at them, and I know they do that around here as well. Yeah. When they're pinned to the bottom like that, the first thing I'm going to think of is probably a blade bait. Yeah, a blade bait's a, you know, it's a good option because you get some action. You're going to draw them out. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I might, you know, thinking about the Detroit River, I have fished the Detroit River. And one of the things I like, like in the water, by the way, the Detroit River current is seven miles an hour. Oh, geez, yeah. So okay. it's, it's blasting it. fast. Yeah. And, what, and it's, it's a live bait when they get in that situation. So you put on a, a jig with a big plastic and put on a big minnow, and you go up to the top of the pool, and you just drift down and try to keep your, and you, you try to drift your boat at the same rate the current is going, so you're perfectly vertical. Because gotcha. if you go off to one side or the other, you're going to catch on an engine block or something that's sunk there. And I'm not kidding. There's the, the amount of trash that's down there. Gotcha. But staying close to the bottom, you know, to where you're you're just following it all down, and and there'll be like little dips and little holes, and the and the fish and the fish are laying down in those holes, and the, and you got to get them out of there, right? You got to get them get them to bite. And a man, a, a lively minnow dropped right on their nose is. And we've talked about this in the past. It's like 
They're not really hungry, but it's sitting there. Right. It's, it's, it's a bowl of potato it's, chips it's in front of you. The bowl of potato chips or the piece of pumpkin pie at the end of the Thanksgiving dinner, and yeah. after three hours later, it's been sitting there, and you just eat it. you got to dry and it. And that's what this is. Yeah, that makes sense. Huh. I didn't think about it that way, but I know we had some friends from back east, uh, Don and Bernie. Hey, Don and Bernie, hope you're listening to this. They came out and said they're from, they're from Wisconsin, and they wanted to come out and fish our walleyes with their techniques. Mm-hmm. And generally, I'm like, well, we'll see how that works. I had no idea. But I knew we had a high, bright sun, really calm day, not good walleye fishing conditions by most people's standards. But I knew there was a couple of humps out here that had a bunch of walleyes on them. I parked them on there. They had 16-ounce jigs, four-pound test, Mm -hmm. four-pound fluorocarbon, 16-ounce jig, a live leech, Mm -hmm. and don't move it. Just park it on the bottom and let it sit there. And we just waylaid them, just absolutely waylaid them uh, in in a condition that if I was throwing artificials, I would have been like, and I even threw a gold minnow a little bit with them. I think I caught one, and the other 14 were on the the live leech that you're not even moving it. If you have a chance to move the minnow, maybe, because you can use action, but they wanted that thing sitting dead still and swimming right there. Yeah, so that's where the slip bobber comes in. Same same technique. It's just sitting there dangling in front of their face. And one of the things I've been doing lately is putting a leech on a drop shot. Oh, sure, oh sure. my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> they just, sure, sure. That makes they, good they sense. They chow it down. That makes really good sense because then the leech can move around, give a little bit of slack to the drop shot, yep. and let the leech, yeah. And it's, again, it's good control, depth control, too, because you're right, right on, on the bottom. Right, six inches. You know, where with, uh, on, a, on a slip bobber, if you got a big drop off, you might be four feet off the bottom instead of right where you need to be. Right, right, right. Sure, sure. Yeah, the, de- the, the, the drop shot, in my mind, is one of the most underrated rigs. And I was a late adopter to drop shotting. But it's one of the most underrated rigs in general for trout, for walleyes, for a lot of species. I even did a little bit of grouper fishing with it because, and sheephead, because oh, yeah. the, just off the bottom, same exact thing. You mm. can set the sink around the bottom and your bait's just above it and it works out pretty good. Uh, let's go back to some of the lures though. We want to talk about some lures because really that's what fundamentally Fishful Thinker does more lure fishing than anything else. When they're tight to the structure, tight to, very tight to structure. If my sonar is showing me that I've got fish sitting right on the bottom, one of the first things, particularly if it's too deep for a crankbait. Let's start with that first. Right. If, if they're, say, 15 or deeper, the almost the first thing I'm going to grab is either going to be a snap jig, which is a jig that I'm going to snap aggressively and let it drop right mm-hmm. back to the bottom, or a blade bait, which is going to be similar. The blade bait is going to vibrate on the lift and shimmy on the fall. The snap jig is going to pop real aggressively off the bottom and spiral on the fall. But either way, it's the fall that gets them to bite. Yes, I agree. And mm-hmm. what other baits might I think of if they're really Wait. pinned to structure besides jigging, the drop shot? Uh, jigging spoons. Oh yeah, jigging spoons. Sure. I mean, we lo- we love those in the fall mostly because of their focus on the on dying shad. Um, a a gl- what we call you know in the walleye world they call them glide baits, which is not the same as a bass glide bait right. or ice fishing jig. Some right. people would sure, call sure. them. Sure, uh, sure. Jigging wrap is what people jigging, are familiar jigging wrap with. Is the Johnny darter. Johnny darters, uh, you know, shiver minnows, all of those. Yep. Same sort of thing. They're just different varieties of the same kind of thing, and you're fishing around structure. And you lift it when you drop it; it spirals or swerves yep. its way back to the bottom. Yeah, and you can do the same thing with a tube jig, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tube jig. Yep, that's a good call as well. I think that's a, that's an interesting one. Is watching that tube jig drop back to the bottom can be a really good way to do it too uh, a little little bit of trivia right here the first episode of fishful thinker television that aired ever january of 2009 yes we've been doing this a while was with you and i with jigging spoons at glendo and mm-hmm. the funny thing about it was we had marked these fish earlier in the day it was a good lesson for me um, we had marked them early in the day and they were sitting really tight on the bottom we couldn't get them to bite and you commented on film it's still in that first episode episode 101 um that, hey, what, later in the day, they'll release a little bit from the bottom. Maybe we can, get, maybe we can catch some of them. We went back there late in the day and caught them really good on jigging spoons and had a great time doing it. 
Uh, and that went on to be the first episode we ever aired, so that was pretty good. Uh, let's say we got fish that are in 10 or less feet but tight to the bottom, or 15 or less feet tight to the bottom. I, first thing I think of is going to be probably a flicker shad that I can hit the bottom with. What about you? Uh, if you're if you're going to cast, I want something that's going to run fairly close to the bottom. Right. Um, walleyes in general are not so aggressive that they'll come flying off the bottom to hit something. I mean, they will mm-hmm. once they get once you know once the water starts to warm up, they get pretty aggressive. Yeah, I was going to say when the water's warm enough, <clears> I've had them come straight up and get. Oh yeah, stuff. they'll come up. I mean, I've, we've seen walleyes hit topwater baits. Yeah. when they when they followed off the bottom, and you know that's you don't think of walleyes as a topwater. I haven't seen it very often, but it nope. has happened. No, but I've caught a half dozen of them on topwater baits over the year, and we even got one on film. Uh, Frank Via in the Full right. Moon Open caught a decent one on a on a walking bait. In, in late in the afternoon. Yeah, so. but but it, I, I remember that one because I think I think the bait hit the water and the walleye hit it. Hit it, yeah. So it wasn't like it was being worked like a top water. So but it, but that fish was looking up. He was looking for something to eat. He was yeah. fairly shallow. Yeah, yeah. So he was, yeah. so those are good baits. Um, yeah, I like. I'm, I'm a big fan of the flicker shad. The bad shad, I think I like even a little better. Yeah, I think it casts better. Yeah, and for people that aren't familiar, it's almost the same looking bait as, as a flicker shad. It's as close to action as you can get, but it's a much heavier bait overall, right. more durably constructed, much easier to cast yeah and if we're if we're if we're talking about you know walleyes over weeds you know where they're maybe five feet down and it's pretty hard to beat a jerk bait yeah now let's talk about the jerk bait for a minute for walleyes because first of all i'd be remiss if i didn't it's i've caught most of i've got more numbers of walleyes on that than probably any other single bait uh, most consistently throughout the seasons for one um, for two, my biggest walleyes have all bit that, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe that's just a product of me, but uh, but I just know it works. It works in the dark. It works in the daylight. Um, we talked about them not being excitable enough to come darting off the bottom, but when the water's really warm, a chrome jerkbait high in the column, mm-hmm. I've had them come straight up like a bottle rocket, whack and smack that thing running three feet under the surface. Uh, when I can't get them to bite a bait that I take down to them, it's a little bit of the excitability thing, but you, the key is a bait's got to be above them. Uh, but a jerk bait for, for walleyes is, is day one stuff for me. Um, there's a lot of jerk baits out there. I've caught walleyes on all of them. Some of them are stronger at certain times. I'm a big guy. I'm a, I'm a giant Berkeley guy, huge Berkeley guy. I've caught more walleyes probably on, on uh, little cutters than anything else in the last, since the cutter was invented anyway. Uh, but having said that, if I'm fishing in the dark, I still do better with an old rogue. And mm-hmm. I think it's because it's a little bit more subtle. Uh, or a little bit more, uh, less erratic. It's not quite as erratic as a cutter or a more modern jerkbait would be. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, and, and when, you're, when you're working a jerkbait in the dark, especially when it's cold, um, this is one of those things where it can make a difference whether you're using mono, monofilament or braid. And when it's really cold, the walleyes don't want it moved a lot. A lot of times when I'm working a jerkbait at night, when it, the water's in the low 40s, I'm on mono because I, I like that stretch. I don't yeah. want to move it, the bait a lot, which right. is what's going to happen if I'm on braid. Right. And, I, and I'll just do a, a pull, right. not a jerk. Just yeah. pull it and then push a little slack back and pause it. Yes. Reel up the slack and just pull. And it, that works way better than, than overworking the than bait. A snap, than, than a snap yeah. on the rod tip like normal. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, and um, it can even, you can even take something like a rogue and do a, just a very, very slow, barely wind it bait in the dark yes. where it's just barely fast enough to get the thing to start doing what it does, uh, right. which is like barely moving. 
uh, can be really good. But I agree with you. Just to pull like a pull it like a foot, and then give it a little bit of slack, and then pull it like a foot, foot and a half, give it a little bit of slack, and let it sit there. The slack line bites are one of my favorite bites ever. Uh, those evenings sl- when the bait slacked out, it's just hanging there, and, boom, and you get to feel that yeah. tick on it. That's one of my favorites. Um, Outside of that season, we're a little past that season now. We're, we're looking at water this morning in the high 40s. Um, most areas of the state, our walleyes are done spawning on the banks at night. There's still a lot of fish on the banks at night. The, ma- the males always hang around there until it gets in the mid-50s. Well, they're looking for the last ladies. <laughs> they're waiting you know, for the girls to show. The girls have left. Them. They went home, party's over, but they're still there. <laughs> yeah, the frat guys are still <laughs> hanging out at the bar, but uh, <laughs> it happens. And you can speed your, basically you can speed your retrieve up a little bit. You can be more aggressive about it. You can speed your retrieve up a little bit. Uh, meaning that I'm still going to be throwing slack at it in classic jerkbait retrieve. If you guys want to know how we work jerkbaits, go to the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel. There's several different, different videos on there of how we're actually snapping the bait. Um, outside of the cold water period in the dark, the rest of the time I do it on braided line because of those mm-hmm. slack line bites, particularly if they're out on the end of a long cast, you can feel those tick, that oh, the yeah. bait's just suspended out there in the water column. You can feel it. The other thing is you can throw the jerkbait farther on light braid. Uh, I tend to fish them on spinning rods and make long throws with them. We've done it at Glendo. We've done it here. I've done it at Pueblo. We've done it, I don't even know where, all, all over the place. That, that jerkbait bite pays the bills. Um, big jerkbaits, little jerkbaits, chartreuse jerkbaits. It doesn't, it's really more about fitting your conditions, right? Right. But, you know, once you, once you get them, once they get to that point, you can catch them on a crankbait. You don't have to work a jerkbait. It's yeah. a lot less work, and you still catch fish. This is true. This is true. Having said that, I did that with a mutual friend of ours, and I won't throw him under the bus right here, but he swore they'd bite the crankbait just as well. Uh-huh. Numbers were the same, but the size all bit the jerkbait. Yeah. And uh, and so you can definitely, for me, if they're on a hard bait, I'm going to go back and forth and figure out which one they want more. That particular day, we're in the same boat together all day long, the jerkbait caught all five mm-hmm. of the big ones, and numbers-wise, we were six and a half dozen yep. other between the hard baits, uh, just depending. I, I think in general, the biggest, for me, all the biggest wise have been on hard baits, not, not jigs or something like that, for me personally. I'm trying to think if I've caught a really big fish on a, on a jig with live bait. Um, seems like almost all of the ones I've caught were on crankbaits, whether they were trolled or cast right. or jerkbaited or... Um, I've caught some, you know, pulling bottom bouncers with with a spinner and that sort of sure. thing. But I don't recall catching that many casting shallow on it with a really big jig. Maybe. Yeah, uh, I, not not many, that, and certainly not for me as well. And you mentioned the bottom bouncer thing. Um, bottom bouncers, are huge back east. And here, east. well, they were invented in the west. Were they? Yeah. Oh, in the well, Dakotas. That live, oh, the Dakotas, sure, that makes sense, okay, because there's nothing to snag there. <laughs> no. You try to drag a bottom bouncer around most areas of my home lake, and you're going to go through yeah. a lot of bottom bouncers. i got a collection of them in my garage yeah. about 50 deep from the ones I found in the lake, house. This lake and Carter Lake are pretty darn hard to pull bottom bouncers, but if you go down to Boyd Lake or you know, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, any or even Pueblo, all of those, it's not too bad. You, you just got to get on the gravel. Yeah, it's not so bad. Get away from the rocks for sure. Yeah, and I don't, I don't do a lot of those. Like I said, it's just not my thing. It be, it's most classically tied to live bait. What about a? Uh, I think you call them a Lindy rig. I would call it a Carolina rig as yeah, a bass guy. Thing, yeah. A catfish would call it a slip rig. A catfish right. guy. But uh, how much of those do you fish here in the West? I don't fish that many of them here, um, but I, I know they're really popular uh, down at down at Chatfield. A lot of guys are Lindy Lindy rig and leeches. You know, you do a you do a really long leader. In the Midwest, it's really popular, right? So you got an eight-foot-long 
Oh, geez. Big fluorocarbon leader, leader yeah. with, a, with a slip sinker on the front and a live leech in the back and maybe two to four pound line because mm. you want that leech to be able to move that bait. Right. And that it's really important. The you know, light wire hook, light line, you want that leech to swim as naturally as possible. And that's why all that stuff's important. It's not so when you start getting up to, you know, bigger full-size minnows. Like in the fall, you fish, you're fishing, you know, great big old creek chubs. <clears throat> and then you can get away, with, can get away with a little heavier gear. Sure, but, sure. That makes really good sense. But long, long leaders. Yeah. Speaking of heavier gear and bigger baits, um, I've got a friend of mine who doesn't throw anything but swim baits. Mm-hmm. Big swim baits. When mm-hmm. I say swim baits, he's throwing 6 to 12-inch swim baits. He catches some of the biggest walleyes I know sure. of anybody I know. He fishes almost exclusively in the dark. And I've, one of my favorite pictures of all time is a picture of a 30, 31-inch walleye with a Huddleston, a 10-inch Huddleston in its gullet. You can barely see the, yeah. the, the mouth or the head of the Huddleston, and it's got a single hook, fortunately, in the back, and he was able to save the fish and get it out. But it engulfed a 10-inch long, 4-ounce bait. Uh, right on the bank in the dark because they're eating those trout, right? And trout right. are stocked at 10 inches or 8 to 10 inches, and that's right what, what they eat in the first place. But uh, it seems to me that that you can get away with throwing big baits, but same with throwing big baits for, for bass or trout, either one, it's a hero or zero move. Yeah, it can be. I mean, I've seen some pretty aggressive walleyes. I've caught walleyes that were eight inches long on a bait that's eight inches long. Sure. So, I mean, they'll try. They're not that smart. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the big thing about all fish, I've said this joke forever, they they got a big mouth and a little brain. That's all yeah. you got to remember all the time. They're programmed to, for that. But, yeah, I'm not a giant fan of throwing the really big baits for them. For me, the most consistent bait, if I'm picking... If I got to pick one, I'm for sure picking the jig because I can do the depth and whatever. I can fish right. around anything. But if you're going to give me two, I'm picking the I'm picking the finesse jig, like a three or four inch gold minnow, and a jerk bait. And the jerk bait's going to be for when they're more aggressive, and the jig's going to be when they're too deep for the jerk bait. That's, yeah, that's my pick. Yeah, you can you, well you can do so much with a with a a jig and a four inch. I like the four inch gold minnow. It's probably my number one. That's probably my number one go to for walleyes is yep. that size. Yep. You know, I can go up or down from that, but I like the four inch. I, th- I think there's more; it's more flexible. Yep. So I get a little more movement when I'm jerking when I pop it off the bottom and, and right, let right, it fall. Right. Um, I've caught I've caught some, a lot of walleyes up in the trees in Glendo, flooded flooded sure. timber on a four inch four inch gold minnow on a on a jig head. Well, just to show the difference between the east and the west on that regard, last time I went to Glendo, uh, we fished. I had fifty pound. X9 braid, or X5 braid even, the more abrasive resistant of the two, with a quarter ounce bullet weight sliding ahead of it that I ended up pegging slightly ahead of it, and a 3 aught extra wide gap Fusion 19 hook and a 4-inch gold minnow on it, and it's on my flipping stick, and I'm pitching it in the trees, pitching around the trees, because the guys that pitch those trees are throwing open jig heads, mm-hmm. and they're going to hang. With a leech. With a leech, <laughs> and they're going to hang a lot of those, yeah. and, and even the guy in the boat with me hung that a bunch, but that Texas rig, I could throw it anywhere, and catch the same fish as him, and didn't have to worry about my leech, didn't have to worry about yeah. snagging, didn't have to throw it on a spinning rod. He got 50-pound braid. If I get one of the big ones to bite, I got a good chance of getting them out of those trees, and that's a big difference. I've never heard anybody doing that back east, Texas rigging walleyes like that. No, not really. No, no even, in the, even in the grass and the bushes. So I think that's a big difference. But, Dan, we're going to have to wrap this up because our podcast is supposed to be 30 minutes, and I could go another 30 right now. So we <laughs> I might think have, so, too, now that we're just now getting wound up. Now, I know, right? Now it's like, now I want to go walleye fishing. But, um, but, guys, if you want some of these techniques, go to the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel because we've got snap jigging demonstrations. We've got jerk baiting demonstrations. There's a bunch of walleye videos on there. A uh, whole episode, walleye fishing outside the box for all the weird ways we've done. Uh, 
you know, including lipless crankbaits and, and all that. Um, you and I have several different videos on there as well, the nighttime trolling bite and all that. So you guys can get more information on walleye fishing there. Fundamentally, it's just important to keep in mind that the walleye fishing here is different. The density of fish might be different. The food base might be different. The balance of the fish as they relate to the ecosystem uh, in terms of water level, weed lines. We don't generally have weed lines here like you have back east. We don't have nearly the de defined weed lines in the reservoirs because of the fluctuating water levels, things like that. So it is not the same walleye fishing in the west as it is back east. So if you're from back east, go at it with a different mindset. Or even more important, go to fishfulthinker.com and book a guide trip with Dan Swanson and, uh, or myself or Jeff Colwell, and we will take you out and catch you some walleyes. Dano, final thoughts? Now let's get out and do it. All right, we're going walleye fishing, guys. So we appreciate you guys. Hopefully you'll subscribe to our podcast. We have a great time doing it. It's a labor of love. Check out the YouTube channel and Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram. Otherwise, we appreciate it, and hopefully you'll tune into our podcast next week.